Good afternoon and welcome to this edition of the 21 News Podcast. As the election day inches closer and closer, Ohio continues to look like much more of a battleground state than it may have been in 2016. And increasingly at play is the heavy turnout among early voters. Um, With me today is former Republican National Committee Chair Michael Steele, who is now one of the founding members of the Lincoln Project. Michael, thanks for being with us. Uh, It's great to be with you. Great to be with you. It's good to be in the neighborhood, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I want to start by just uh, talk to me a little bit about the the Lincoln Project strategy. I mean, obviously, you're these. This is a group of Republicans who are opposed to Donald Trump and are working. Would you say working to get Biden elected? Then is that a fair way to say it? I think that would be a fair way to say it. Yeah, given that this is a binary election, yeah, I think that's a fair way to say it. I mean, I think it's important for people to understand what Lincoln Project, what why Lincoln Project is. Okay, you know, why is it there? Um, it's it's not that, uh, you know, we're suddenly anti-Republican. I'm still a Republican. Now, some have left the party because they just got fed up with the direction the party was going. Um, I haven't left. I, I right now refer to myself more of more like a Motel 6 Republican. You know, someone's got to keep the lights on. And uh, that uh, that would be me, along with a handful of others. Um, but, you know, after watching and listening and 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 seeing the kind of uh, degradation of institutions and individuals, um, the level of uh, disregard for, you know, certainly uh, the debt and deficits of this nation, the, the, the debt that we're putting back on the backs of future generations. It's just so antithetical to everything that republicanism and conservatism has been about, uh, certainly during my lifetime and certainly what I fought for uh, while I was national chairman. Um, that you get to a point where you say enough is enough. Where do you draw the line? I mean, uh, I'm sorry, we're not friends with with Vladimir Putin and Russia. They're 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 not f- friends of the United States. We're not friends with other oligarchs and demagogues around the con- around the world. We're not, um, uh, you know, stalwarts of 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 you know anything other than free trade, not tariffs and and taxes. Uh, and we certainly don't believe in putting children in cages and we don't believe in building walls. I mean, you know, and and so um, fundamentally, um, I get the narrative, as do a lot of folks, about why folks out there are frustrated and have been frustrated about how their political leadership and the parties have let them down. But there's no need, in my view, to embrace this level of nationalism, uh, specifically white nationalism, uh, that speaks to something other than the true character of the nature. And, and if you're telling me that this is our true character as Americans, then let's have that discussion. Um, and, and I think that um, uh, what, what the Lincoln Project is all about is, A, shining a light on a lot of this stuff so that people can see it for what it is, unblemished, untarnished, um, and then begin to work their way to making a real choice about whether or not this is the kind of country they want and this is the kind of leader they want uh, to lead it. Uh, and I decided a long time ago the answer was uh, no to both of those. Now, obviously, that's a long list of, of things that you're opposed to about the Trump administration. What would you say, though, to those, at least particularly in the Republican Party, who would argue that setting aside what they would dismiss as rhetoric, they'll, they'll say a lot of it's rhetoric, 
um, that the Trump philosophy on issues like cutting taxes, deregulation, appointing conservative judges, um, the, the I guess going along with that would be being pro-life, that there is a long list of traditional Republican policy goals that certainly you've supported in the past that, yep. that he does seem to fall in line with. Yeah, well, he doesn't believe. Uh, OK, let's start with pro-life. Donald Trump is not pro-life. OK, let's, let's be honest and clear about that fact. I've known the man for a long time and worked with him for uh, two years. No, he's not. Um, Donald Trump is not a conservative. Uh, Donald Trump was uh, a Democrat, supported Democratic causes and Democratic candidates for a long time, uh, joined the Republican Party in late 2000, in 2015 um, and ran for its party's nomination. Um, so these, while these, you know, are nice and Supreme Court justices are nice, and I, I very much like the two gentlemen who've been placed on the court. I know them both, um, and very much, uh, admire and uh, respect, uh, Amy Coney Barrett and I think she will be a very fine justice. Um, there's more to the job than a policy. Uh, you're telling me that character doesn't matter? You mean, because we're a country that raised our kids to look up to the president. So let me ask you this. So would you ask your son to emulate the president's behavior towards women? Would you ask your son to emulate his behavior towards um, uh, a handicapped per uh, child in his class, making fun of him? Would you uh, uh, tell your son it's good to call a woman a pig? Um, that you know, to refer to uh, an African-American woman running for the vice presidency of the United States, a monster? So at what point, where do you draw the line? Where does, where does policy stop and character begin? Or where does character stop and policy begin? For me, character runs throughout. Now, a lot of that may be my own upbringing and my training as a, a former seminarian in an Augustinian monastery many years ago uh, and, and, and all that that entails. But it also speaks to our own humanity, you know, uh, when you refer to our, our war dead as losers and, and individuals who get caught as suckers you know, who serving our country, I, I don't I, you know, I draw I draw some very bright lines around those things. And, and so let me put it in terms I think your listeners and folks will understand. So your son is a straight A student. And you are so proud of what he does and you're so happy. He brings that report card home and it literally is straight A's. He's got all the backing certificates. But you know what? Your son is a pain in the ass to the teachers, and he's a bully on the playground. And so when the teachers bring you in for a parent-teachers conference and the parents confront you about the behavior of your son, is your only response is, well, he's a straight-A student. So, yeah, you got what you want out of your son, straight A's. But the society in which that child is growing up and encountering other individuals He's a holy terror. <laughs> and I think, as, I think as a parent, you would begin to draw the lines. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you're getting A's, but the problem is with Trump, there's no but. All right? We just say, well, he, you know, well, they're, they're, the problem with Trump is there are too many buts, actually. We, you know, oh, yeah, I don't like when he says this. And I and yeah, I, I wouldn't agree with that. And, and, and I wouldn't say it that way. And, and I, I hate it when he tweets all the time. But I like the Supreme Court justice and I like and I'm like, well, then you're compromising your very principle. You're compromising your value set. At some point, you got to say. That behavior is reprehensible. And while I appreciate all these other things, I can't support the man because of the behavior. It matters to me 
not speaking for anybody else, it matters to me who sits behind the Resolute desk and the character and the quality of that individual. So um, if you give me a guy uh, or a gal who, who I disagree with on policy, but is a fine, upstanding individual versus someone who I agree with on policy, who's a slug, no, I'm going with the guy who's kind of stand up because I'd rather have the fight over the policies in a space in which I know the person that's going to be making those decisions at least will acknowledge that I have issues, I have concerns, show me some empathy, is listening to what I'm saying. Um, and so th- those things, those qualities matter for me. And those qualities, I think, matter to a lot of the Republicans who have stepped off of this particular direction of the Republican train and and are hoping for a better a better turnaround um, beyond. Like, you know, so, for example, if Mike Pence were the nominee, this wouldn't even be a discussion for me. But Mike Pence isn't president. Now, now, a lot of what we've talked about so far has been the strategy and the message to Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lincoln Project has targeted advertising in places like, like the Mahoning Valley. Yep. And, and this is an interesting cross-section because these are voters largely who have been historically traditional Democrats, largely on the issue of trade. And they switched over in large numbers to Donald Trump because he's the guy who said, we're going to get out of NAFTA, things like that. Those are the issues that were resonating sure. with them. sure. Um, the one group of people that traditionally they've shown very little support for are, quite frankly, people like you, traditional Republicans. So what is the case to the Mahoning Valley? Are you looking to flip Trump Democrats or is it more of a targeted, smaller audience of longtime Valley Republicans because of where we're situated in Ohio? I think I think it's, you know, that's getting into some very interesting uh, strategery. One of my favorite Bushisms. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think there there are strategies to these things. Look, you've got a cross section of voters. Um, just as I've met many um, uh, Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump voters in 2016. All right, um, mm-hmm. Democrats who uh, were strong with Bernie Sanders, but because Bernie didn't get the nomination, they, like many Americans, couldn't stand Hillary Clinton. Um, and decided to vote for Donald Trump. So the question then becomes four years later, where do those voters go? Do they stay with Trump? Do they go someplace else? So part is to sort of try to um, peel into that space and to see where those voters are. Now, I suspect many of those voters have since moved off of Trump, um, certainly because of the the, the Democratic um, campaign. Again, they got more involved with with, uh, the uh, campaigns of, of Bernie uh, and uh, a number of other candidates. But at the same time, now there's much more of a rallying around the Democratic nominee and the Democratic Party. So you have that piece going on. Um, and then, of course, you have, you know, uh, not just the appeal along the lines of trade and those types of issues, but then asking the question, you know, what has been wrought from it? You know, We've got, we still have 13 million Americans who are unemployed uh, due to COVID-19. We are running enormous uh, trade uh, deficits and and we're in still in the midst of trade wars. Um, The, the, the employment and other uh, things that were promised have not materialized the way they have. Our farm belt has been devastated in many respects um, because of it. 
our manufacturing, while we've has seen we've seen some nice upticks in certain sectors of manufacturing, has not been consistent and across the board. And, and certainly in places like Ohio, where that's a big deal, um, um, you want to you want to drill down on that kind of messaging to, to see where the voters are and what they think about it. Um, and at the end of the day, it's still making an appeal because we believe that a lot of those voters still think character matters, character counts. Uh, the value of uh, of of the individual um, is as important as the value of the policy, um, and so it's making a cross section of appeals to people uh, to see what what actually rings a note with them and and where and to find out where they are. Um, the response to a lot of what the Lincoln Project has put out has been very strong, and I, I even know people who are you know adamantly voting for Donald Trump. Uh, but it's still like the ads, right? I mean, it, so there's there is that there is that part of it for sure, right? Um, but then there's also the part where it, it it causes people to think, and I think on a number of levels, those voters um, across uh, Ohio and and the Midwest, and certainly when you even get into um, my neck of the woods over in Western Maryland, for example. Um, they they still understand and appreciate um, where we are right now. They are taking the necessary precautions of, of during COVID nineteen. They're trying to recover from a flatlined economy because of COVID nineteen, um, and they're also struggling like a lot of us are around issues of race and diversity and and uh, our our police and and a lot of the bad messaging around the police um quite frankly from from both sides from you know the left and the antifa crazies um and and, and from trump uh i think has left a lot of people in doubt and confusion around a very important issue that impacts certainly my community in a very direct way but all communities um in in ways that um we need to get to some level of resolution uh, so we try to clarify as much of that conversation as we can so voters can make a clear choice between these two candidates for office and they can decide for themselves who best represent my values. Because at the end of the day, you don't get a, you don't get to escape from that because the, the, the White House is a place that we honor. And just as a sidebar, I hate that it's being used as a political backdrop. It never has in its history and should not be ever again. Um, because that's not what the people's house is for. Um, but it does matter um, in terms of who's there uh, and, and because they represent us. They are an extension of who we are as citizens in this country because we are founded on, our government is founded on three words, we the people, not we the institution, not we the Department of State, not we the Department of Energy, but we the people uh, in order to form a more perfect union meaning that we are striving every day to create something better than what we have right now, not for us, but for our kids and their kids. And, and so it matters in the long run for me um, how that gets done um, with a president and his or her cabinet, uh, et cetera. So, Michael, one other thing I want to get into, um, it's still staying in the Mahoning Valley, but but this also holds true across Ohio and, and, a, and a lot of states, is the early voting and the enthusiasm yes. we're seeing there. Because there's some real interesting numbers breaking down, in, at least in Mahoning County right now. Mm-hmm. As of right now, early votes cast, you know, and this is mail, this is including mail-in, sure. in-person, all of them. 22,786 Democrats, 
7,032 Republicans. But here's the one that threw me. More than 23,000 non-party. And I just kind of want to get your take as a former party chair. Are those likely to be true independents, just not primary voters? And how do you see voters like that breaking in the valley? These are obviously not people who vote every cycle. Right. No, that's very true. I, I don't know how uh, the uh, Mahone County uh, Board of Elections breaks down their voters uh, or how the state identifies voters necessarily. So for Maryland, you 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 only have Republican or Democrat and then you've got non-affiliated, mm-hmm. uh, but you don't get to vote in a primary system. You don't get you only get to vote in the general um, and then you're you're voting as non-affiliated. Um, right. Ohio is the same. It's the same. OK, so so those voters who and it's interesting, those voters who typically are non-affiliated slash independent voters tend to be more center right voters um, from both parties, from Republican Party and the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Democrats who are you know, out of the Scoop Jackson foreign policy school, for example, you know, old school old yeah. Democrats um, to, you know, Reagan, Reagan Republicans um, like myself, you know, who are, um, you know, who are sort of born and forged in that space. So, you know, who then who's for whatever reason and the reasons vary have moved into a more independent box. So the fact that we're seeing this kind of trend line with independent voters voting, you don't necessarily know, does that break for or against the Republican candidate um, uh, as much in this election as I would say in prior elections with a presidential candidate who was less volatile, if you will, in terms of how the, the public sees him. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be pejorative against Trump, but you got to admit he, he brings excitement to the game, right? And <laughs> some people like it, some people don't. Um, so if you're talking a Bush presidential reelect or a Reagan presidential reelect, uh, then I would almost bet you that a, a significant number, I would almost be very confident, not almost, I would be very confident that a significant number of the 23,000 would probably be breaking for uh, the, the center-right candidate for the Republican. In this environment, it's harder to say exactly how those independents are breaking down um, because uh, as we started our conversation, many of them kind of fall into that camp. I don't like the behavior, but I like the policy. And so the question becomes, have they now, in light of what they saw at the first presidential debate, his handling of coronavirus, um, his handling on civic, uh, civil, issues, uh, civil rights issues, um, et cetera, have they moved? So, I, so we don't know what the number means until we actually count the vote. But what we do know is that voters now are fully engaged to participate. And your county, like my county of Prince George's here in Maryland, we're seeing an enormous upswing in, in voters. Now, to the, to the 7,000 Republicans who have early voted or vote by mail, uh, I, I think some of that may be depressed um, uh, because I think a lot of those Republican voters will be voting in person on Election Day because many have bought into the, the president's false narrative about vote by mail. Just so your audience know, the president votes by mail. He's voted by mail twice in this election, uh, in the primary and the general, uh, as have many members of his cabinet and administration. Uh, As Republican national chairman, um, I used vote by mail 
uh, as every Republican Party, uh, state party official, including uh, the great chairman of Pennsylvania at the time, um, to, to get out our vote. Uh, that's how we reach our senior citizens who can't leave their homes is vote by mail. It's how we reach um, a lot of uh, if a polling place is not at a senior center, that's how we reach them uh, by having those ballots delivered to them and, and, and sent back to the Board of Elections. We have been voting by mail in this country since we first founded the post office, since Ben Franklin founded the post office. We've been voting by mail. So this idea that this is somehow rigs the system. Uh, I think has done a disservice to Republicans because what what you're now going to be relying on is our senior citizens, especially who are our most fervent voters, getting out of their house sometime on November 3rd um, and go standing in a very, very long line uh, that could lead could last well into the darkness and it gets dark early in the fall, as you know, um, and and while COVID-19 is all around them. And I, I, I just, at least some of the seniors I've talked to, that's not their game plan. So many are taking the, make the decision on their own to vote by mail on their own, irrespective of what others may say. But I, my, my concern would be that it has turned down a lot of the vote um, that otherwise would, uh, would be there. Um, I mean, particularly when you're giving me a number like 7,000 and 22 and 23,000 um, so far. And we've got 13 million as of our conversation, um, individuals having voted around the country by ma- by mail or uh, early balloting. Uh, and we haven't, for example, in Maryland, even started our, our early vote, which won't happen for two weeks yet. So you still have states out there that are going to be um, opening up their, their doors to the ballot box early. And I suspect voter turnout is going to be huge. So given that we're three weeks out, Make a prediction. How do you see this going? <laughs> yeah, you're such a bad boy. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm not in, inclined to make a prediction here because, and uh, there's some really important lessons to learn from 2016 about that. And I don't. While I think uh, a lot of our polling, I've never been a fan of national polls. Um, I think you want to get the heartbeat of where an election is. You, you need to look at the state the local polls, the state polls. President right now is, by my estimation, in trouble in Pennsylvania. Uh, and, um, you know, and by that, I mean, if he's tied or slightly ahead, he's in trouble, given that he won it the last time. He's, he's um, in trouble in Georgia. Look, the president is having a problem in the South and Texas. How is the president tied or slightly ahead in state polls in Texas? And so there is... There is reason to believe that this is going to be a difficult three weeks uh, for the president to overcome some of the, certainly the national numbers if you go by those, but in these battleground states like yours, like uh, Florida, where the president is um, uh, slightly behind, I think the number I saw this morning was by two points, Um, Arizona, Nevada, uh, Michigan, he's down by eight or nine. and, you know, a lot of my Republican friends are saying, oh, well, that's because, you know, we've all decided we're not going to answer pollsters and all this other stuff. I'm like, OK, that's fine. That's great for national polls. But state polls 
is a little bit different. The mm-hmm. metrics are a lot different. And a state poll is very much like um, you hear people talk about campaigns, internal polls, where their internal polls are based on state polling. They're not based on national polling. And so a state poll is a snapshot of what's, what the campaign is seeing internally in many instances. And so I think it's going to be an interesting long night, number one. Number two, folks, please, uh, if you don't do anything on election night, do this. Get yourself uh, several bottles, maybe a case or two of your favorite adult beverage. Uh, mm-hmm. Sit in your favorite chair, uh, grab some popcorn or something fun to eat, and just wait. Because it's going to be a long night. It's going to be a long several days. Don't get hamped up. Don't get excited. Uh, I trust the Secretary of State of your state, like I trust the Secretary of State of my state. I've talked to many of them, um, and they're all very well coordinated and and are looking forward to uh, implementing best practices from each of their fellow uh, secretaries around the country to make sure that they maximize the opportunity to count every legal, legitimate vote. And I'm clear on that, legal, legitimate vote. All right, let's not play games here and, and oh, we want every vote counted. No, we don't want every vote counted. We want every legal vote counted um, because that's that's what the system calls for. That's what the system demands. And so I'm just asking people to chill and um, uh, just get ready to, to watch a little bit of skirmishing going on. The lawyers may get involved at some point. Um, I hope the president doesn't come out and start claiming victory and and saying that the system was rigged. And, you know, he's already made the statement that the only way I lose is if the, if the system is rigged. No, the only way you lose is if the voters vote you out. That's how this works. That's how America's always worked since its founding. Uh, George Washington understood that Donald Trump needs to understand that principle as well um, as do every, every school kid in America. So um that's what I'm hoping for, and that's what I think will likely happen. It's going to be a long evening. Um, the map may look very red at some point. It may look very blue at some point, but whatever co- color it winds up, that won't happen until every legal legitimate vote is counted. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. I appreciate the time, really.